1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's uh, ask God's blessing upon his word. Father, we do ask that you would speak and we would hear. That you would speak through your word, the faithful explanation and application of it, and that your spirit would use your word to transform the saints. Work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take you back to chemistry class. Well, actually not back to it, but just to remember it, tell you a story of an acquaintance I have, an acquaintance that is a college chemistry professor. Has taught chemistry for many years and has a story from his past as a part of his class where he was teaching, it was really connected to a lab, really, where you do one of those kind of fancy uh, lab experiments where you take, you know, the one chemical and you, you mix it into the other chemical and it changes and then you add the third chemical in and it changes again and there's a little puff of gas and everything kind of works. And if you do it correct at the end, you've made some sort of new thing. Only this sort of experiment was not like your normal experiment. It was an experiment that when he trained the class, he told them from the very beginning, it was written large on the top of the paperwork, it was uh, very clearly labeled, it was very clearly ex- uh, explained, that along the way, though you would not see it, this experiment will produce a gas. You won't be able to tell it, it's clear, it's odorless, the only problem is that it is 100% fatal. And so under all costs, at all costs, under all circumstances, it has to be performed under one of the giant hoods. And you remember them from chemistry class. It's the giant hood with the fan that you turn it on so you can't hear your lab partner and you have to scream at each other from 18 inches away as you perform the experiment and it helps you mess things up because you can't think because the large fan. And he he had warned his students... Over and over, look, you won't know it, but it will be producing gas that can kill you. You won't see it, 
you won't smell it. And certainly the young man didn't before he died. He had not followed the instructions of the professor in a college lab, and instead of doing it under the hood the way that he had been instructed to do when it came time for his season to do it, he had not been paying attention, and it killed him. And it's very easy for us when we hear that story to go, well, man, what an irresponsible professor doing an experiment that could have killed me. Crazy number of experiments are that way if you do them incorrectly. Or we say, uh, how, how shameful of a young man to not pay attention uh, to such an extent that it would cost him his life. But it is intriguing how much of the New Testament is written specifically dealing with the issue of false teachers and how many evangelical American type Christians still refuse to acknowledge it. We, in a different version of this story, maybe even are, are worse yet than that young man. We're the, the folks that tend to put our fingers in our ears, la, 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 la. <laughs> Certainly that can't be the truth. If I can't see him, if I can't hear him, if I can't smell him, certainly it can't be the truth. The problem is we're just, we're just dead wrong in that way. Almost all of the New Testament books are written specifically with false teachers in mind, certainly after Romans, uh, with false teachers in mind as they're attempting to correct the church, to warn the church, to prepare the church to interact in a world that is not friendly to them. Here, John overlaps with parts of Jude and with uh, parts of Peter's writings in dealing with these false teachers. And he begins with a very simple command. Beloved, remember he's old Grandpa John at this point, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And again, we hear this and like that kind of not the standard language that I would think about these things. It's kind of an odd way maybe to speak of it, but maybe not for the day in that era. You remember again, they don't have all of the fullness of the scriptures yet. They don't have pastors who've been to seminary the same way that we do today that preach uh, from the New Testament the exact same way. They have the story of Christ, but it's in the process of being written down. And as traveling preachers would go around, You'd have a different kind of sort of experience, maybe, from a different sort of teacher. We've been wrestling through this in the Corinthians Bible studies in morning and evening on Thursdays. With these teachers who would come in and and they would suggest a a resume that they have that would maybe be proof of uh, their ability to speak with elegance or their ability to speak with eloquence. Maybe their rhetorical uh, proof of how good they were. They were brilliant entertainer. Maybe they had law background and were able to defend you in a court of law. Maybe they understood the scriptures. Maybe not really quite so well. But most of all, they would say, I have a word from a spirit. I have a word from the spirit. And it's very kind of common language for ancient Greece and ancient Rome, where uh, such a a high emphasis was placed on uh, kind of a mystical spirituality. You didn't think about, I mean, ancient Greece, ancient Rome, how many gods did they produce? Gods and goddesses that we think of. <laughs> and 
one particularly nasty strain of this uh, type of thinking, which again we've talked about at length, but Gnosticism was a version that placed all authority, all understanding, kind of ultimate truth within you yourself. It elevated your experience, your understanding, your exposure to the divine to be the highest and greatest good. And these preachers would travel around and begin to explain and begin to teach. And they would be teaching critically from their own spiritual experience. And Grandpa John, being wise, having been around the block a couple of times, says, beloved friends, (laughs) don't believe everything you read on the internet. I mean, that's kind of his opening line. Don't believe everything you read on the internet. Don't believe everything you hear. Please don't believe every preacher. That's what he starts with. Don't believe every spirit. It's not so much that they're listening to demons or listening to things like that. It's that they're listening to preachers who are claiming to have words from the spirit. And he's saying, not everybody's equal here. Please don't just listen with unplugged ears, with minds checked out, and just ingest anything. Please don't absorb it all. The early church, unfortunately, in so many ways, behaving much less like sheep and much more like goats. Goats are really spectacular creatures in their ability to eat almost anything at all. Two of their favorite foods, I actually have friends who lease goats to their town uh, to take care of the problems because goats' two favorite foods are poison ivy and kudzu. And the town actually leases their goats, and so in the morning they take their goats, they drop them off on the side of the road, and the goats will just eat the kudzu along the side of the road all day until they can pick up their goats in the evening. Amazing creatures that God has made. I love it. Love this stuff. But unfortunately, the church is very much the same way where we become indiscriminate with what we eat, with what we ingest, with what we absorb, and we just kind of take it all in. And John's like, okay. (laughs) Time out. Back up. Warning, church. Please do not believe everything that you hear. Don't believe every spirit. Instead, actually, I want to instill in you a, a process where I want you to test everything. I want you to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. I want you to be a people who are critical thinkers that everything that tries to pass through your mental matrix, you are examining to see if it is right or wrong. But it's intriguing again how easy it is for us to forget the importance of this task. And part of it is, I mean, as Americans, we we tend to not be critical thinkers very much anymore. It's why I like shows, if you ever watch the old show Mythbusters, that was a great show because what were they doing is they were critically examining all kinds of just assumptions that we had placed in science or in movies or in entertainment all the time. Let's test to see, uh, will it hold up to critical examination? Let's see if the scientific myth or whatever is true. 
Too often today, we as Americans in the American church, we behave like goats, ingesting it all, forgetting to examine every single little piece. And I'm going to be honest. For us in a church like this, I'm I'm actually going to suggest it's actually even harder for us. And part of the reason why is because you love me and I love you. It's because the closeness of our friendship, it's because the closeness of our relationship, so many of you trust me and I trust you and it is so easy for the devil to play on that trust and for us to begin to trust everyone. Coming from youth ministry days, I watched this with children who grew up in the church and grew up in healthy churches. It was very hard for them in many cases when they went off to college or went off into other places because they were raised in settings where they learned to trust everyone. And then when they went off to college, they were like, whoa, whoa, no, kiddo. No, don't, don't, (laughs) no. I can't tell you how many times I caught my students in unbelievably dangerous circumstances, having informed no one of what they were doing, not because they were being intentionally wicked, but because they had been trained to love because they'd been raised in such a loving environment. They trusted everyone. And unfortunately, I think so often in the American, the Western church, we do similar types of things in, in situations like this where we're trained, we love each other, and we just kind of sometimes go, oh, okay, and just assume the best. And you mix that on top of, and some of you are raised like this, this might be your home, your childhood, but you might have heard or been taught that if you can't say anything nice, <laughs> don't say anything at all. And we were taught to, to, to look for the best, to, to look for the good, to assume the best. And so sometimes, again, at the expense of critical thinking, at the expense of calling out falsehood, at the expense of paying attention. You see, I think that's part of it, is that our culture in the South particularly is so nice that so many of us have responded to the niceness by stopping paying attention. We just kind of motor along so often as zombies. The problem is that's not the reality of the situation. Grandpa John here says, look, (laughs) don't believe everything that you hear. In fact, actually, we need to build the habit as God's people to test everything. To test every spirit, to test every doctrine, to test every sermon, to test every book, to test every bit of content that processes into our minds to see how it holds up to the truth. It's almost like John understands that this is going to be a little bit of a hard sell for them. And so the rest of the chapter is almost entirely consumed with reasons why they should. We're going to look at it five reasons specifically, but reasons why they should indeed test the spirits. First is because, <laughs> this is kind of obvious, but because there's false teachers everywhere. And they've come from inside the church. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why? For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And again, they've gone out from where they start in the church. <coughs> And they make their way in the church and then through the church and then in some cases, best case, they get out of the church. But unfortunately, so many stay within. 
It's intriguing that all of the the warnings for false teachers are made specifically about those inside. I'll give you an illustration. Back when I was a youth pastor, um, I was encouraged to make use of one particular video set. Uh, At the time when I was youth pastoring, over a decade ago, uh, this were like the cutting-edge technological resource for for teenagers, for high school students. They were considered to be the best Bible studies around for teenagers, and I was encouraged at great length to utilize them from very good and godly people. But even as I started interacting, I'm like, eh, something just doesn't feel right. Not entirely sure, but something just doesn't feel right. And so I got a hold of the gentleman who uh, was writing these Bible studies and read his first book. And as I read it, I went, ooh. His first book questions the kind of real issue of sin. His second or third book, I forget which one it is, actually ultimately denies hell entirely. And he's now made millions of dollars and he works as a co-producer with Oprah. You're like, hmm. The guy who was considered the greatest cutting-edge Bible study for our children now runs the show with Oprah. Doesn't really call himself a Christian anymore. I would consider him uh, at best heretical, um, at best. This is in a great PCA church with great PCA folks where I was being encouraged by great PCA people to use a guy who would pan out in just a couple of short years after I left that church to be a heretic. It happened while he was here. While I was here that this guy showed himself. This is inside our own house. This is not like I'm talking far off. These are people that are here that we interact with. I'm just not saying his name because I'm on tape. You have to test everything because the reality of false teachers is undeniable in so much, even if you don't like it, they're there. And again, this is that great danger for those of us that were raised where if you, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. We, we so often take that kind of stereotyped role of the ostrich, just burying our head in the sand saying, well, everybody's fine. Everybody's okay. Everybody's nice. We're all on the same team. And unfortunately, John's addressing, we're really not. We're really not. And you say, well, Michael, that's just not nice. I mean, they say they're Christians. Yeah, they're wrong. But that's just not nice. Well, that's comforting. Jesus wasn't either. Remember, we already read that just a couple of minutes ago. He calls them of their father, the devil, to their face. No matter how much you might deny it, false teachers are reality. That's why I started with the chemistry illustration. No matter how much you might deny the poisonous gas, it's there. You might not like it, might not be emotionally pleasing to you, might make you feel a little uncomfortable in the inside. Sorry, it's true whether you like it or not. It doesn't stop there, though. Skip down to uh, verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Uh, These false teachers very cleverly 
will seek to have a genuine division over the truth. They don't just go after making money. They don't just simply try to profit off of you. They don't just simply try to make their lives better at your expense. It's they excuse me, carry inherently with them false doctrine. It's interesting where Paul, as he's interacting with false teachers throughout his ministry, he actually is comfortable with people who are preaching the right gospel for the wrong reasons. He says that. He's like, ah, it's not my, not my favorite situation, but you know what? They're preaching the right gospel. It's fine. We can move on. But he has a separate category set aside for those that alter the content. And so as we are called to deal with these false teachers, we have to acknowledge that there's a genuine divide, and it is a divide over content first and foremost. John is calling us to test the spirits against the scriptures, to test them against the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. And here, these are coming up short. They're mixing the message. And so I'm preparing for my comprehensive exams. One of the issues I have to prepare for is American church history. I have to be able to answer lengthy questions on the, the history of preaching in America. And it's interesting, as you deal with the history of preaching in America, it's really more than anything the history of false teaching in America. It's amazing how much the history of preaching in this great country of ours is a history of just false teaching. Where either the gospel is compromised, or the person and work of Christ is compromised, or the Trinity is compromised. I mean, it's staggering how quickly the American church gives up on the idea of the Trinity. You have universalism, Unitarianism show up just staggeringly quick. And after you have Unitarianism show up, then you have universalism show up because, well, if there's not really a God, there's no really sin, there's no real Savior, man, we're all fine. We're all good. We'll be fine together. To see movement after movement after movement in our great country. New and more pernicious and devious ways to distort the truth. To take our eyes off of Christ and take us off who He is. I love how John just very quickly in verse 2 as he's explaining this, every spirit that... Uh, confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. In just that quick little turn of a phrase, he packs an amazing amount of theology. I mean, to the point where commentators are just all staggered with the precision with which he writes this as he explains the humanity of Christ and explains the divinity of Christ and hints at the work of Christ all in just one simple little turn of a phrase test the spirits because these spirits, uh, these false teachers aren't just going after minor things. They go after the big thing too. They endanger souls to hell for taking away the person and work of Christ. Test the spirits because the false teachers are real. Test the spirits because they go after the heart of the matter. Test the spirits, verse 4, because you are victorious. I love it. This is probably not a thought process most of us would have had. Certainly not the, the way that most of us would have gone with this conversation. But, oh yes, by the way, verse 3 in the end, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, which is now in the world already. Antichrist here, false teachers here, be warned, be warned. What's the next sentence out of his mouth? Little children, and again, that's not talking just to kiddos. It's because he's the old man. 
you're from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Look, you should be testing them because by your very nature, you are creatures of victory. I mean, when you were unbelievers, you were children of wrath. You were children of defeat. You were marked by loss on every side. You were enslaved to sin. But now as new creatures with a new nature, look, you are creatures of victory because you are joined with Jesus and he himself is victorious. You've already overcome. You know what will happen to the enemies of God. They have been defeated, they will be defeated, and they are currently being defeated. You yourselves are victorious. Don't be afraid. You don't have to worry. You've already participated in the victory. There's so many great images and great stories of this uh, related to how you think of uh, massive war. If the war's already been won, but you have the tiny little skirmishes to go clean up, what kind of coward doesn't fight in the skirmishes to clean up where you've already won the war? Would you not be more comfortable spending and being spent in combat if you know you've already won? You can't lose. It's not possible. Ultimately, God will win. Verse 5, he continues, another reason, look, another reason why you have to test these teachers, you have to test the spirits, you have to test their content is because they're from the world. They came from the church, but their DNA, their essence, their reality is from the world. And therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. It's intriguing that as John ages, he he looks at uh, the reality of the church. and He says, look, the church is at her best when the divisions are as clear as possible. It's not a positive or wholesome situation where you begin to see the lines blurring. In fact, actually, that's where you have to worry the most about false teachers, where you hear someone and you say, I I can't tell if that's a political pundit or a preacher. Ah, That gives me the heebie-jeebies. They're from the world. They talk like the world. They use the vocabulary of the world. They use the concepts of the world. They use the ideas of the world. And of course they would. That's whom they belong to. They are our enemies. They speak as our enemies, and our enemies listen to them. I mean, again, I I love the illustration just because it's so nonsensical. But again, not to say everybody that shows up on the History Channel is a nightmare. But (laughs) most of the time, again, why do they pick those people to be interviewed on the History Channel? Why do they find those professors to comment about it? Why, if you go on you know, Netflix or any of those and watch the, the ancient Egyptian history or any of those you know, mysteries of the Bible, why do they always pick the wackos? Because they're speaking their language. They're picking their own people. It's, it's nepotism of the best kind. Like, hey, we need somebody to confirm our own view. This is called confirmation bias. Let's pick our own guy who's going to tell us what we already know. Why is it so rare to see a conservative theologian on any of those things? Because they don't want to hear that. They want to hear their own voice. They want to hear the world speaking back to them. They're from the world. They speak from the world. and The world listens to them. But we're different. We're from God. And whoever knows God 
listens to us. His intriguing answer here is he actually gives a little bit of a, a greater motivation to say, look, part of the reason why you test the spirits is so that you can listen to proper preaching. You listen to the good stuff. It helps you understand. It's like when you first start learning music. Now, you can enjoy all kinds of music, but once you start learning music, you realize a lot of music really isn't worth listening to. And you're like, can't listen to that, it's terrible. Can't listen to that, it's terrible. Can't listen to that, it's terrible. Uh, so when I started playing guitar, can't tell you how many guitarists, I'm like, nope, can't do it, that's awful. But as it informs your sensibilities of what is good and right and true, the things that you do enjoy, you enjoy far more richly. No, I'll listen to him or I'll listen to her because they're brilliant. They're magnificent. They're staggeringly good. And while I would not have understood that years and years ago, I do now, and my goodness, wonderful to listen to. That same kind of concept happens as we develop as saints where uh, maybe early on we listen to far too many voices, but as we begin to test the spirits and train our minds and to train our understanding, it trains what we see as good and sensible and true. And we're able to listen to far fewer voices, but the voices we listen to we appreciate more. I mean, you realize that. I mean, ho- hopefully, hopefully you have realized this, right? I mean, right now, the entire American economy is built over a battle for data. I mean, the, the largest companies, most powerful companies in America right now are all companies that at their core, they sell data. Google, Facebook, Apple, all of them, what are they, they're selling data. They're selling your data. And why are they selling your data? They're selling it so that people can speak to you products and get into your wallet. Oh, you happen to like disc golf. Here, here's this website you might want to purchase from. Oh, you happen to like guitars. Here's a, here's a guitar sale that you might want to pay attention to. Oh, you happen to like this. You might want to pay attention to that. I got one this week from a book on sale that was actually shocking. I'd love to buy that. Well done on you guys. I don't know how your algorithm figured out that I want that, but well played. That's fantastic. I got to applaud. You figured it out. We as God's people, as we begin this process of testing the spirits, we're going to be able to tune out so much more. But the voices we listen to will be much more valuable. And then it goes back to the beginning. It's interesting, he he tells them to test the spirits, but he doesn't really give them much distinction on how to do that. It gives them a whole lot of reasons why, a whole lot of reasons why it's so important to test the spirits, but he doesn't give a whole lot of explanation other than test the spirits to see whether they're from God, for many false prophets have gone out of the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is from God. How, how do you test the spirits? You hold it up against the Word of God. You hold up every single bit of information against the Word of God, and the Word of God must be king. Testing the spirits is simply bringing the scriptures to bear on all that we interact with, all that we understand, and cutting away everything else. For those of you that love to make cookies, 
you probably have some of those fun cookie cutters, don't you? They're funky shaped and you may be able to have crazy ones or whatever. And you, you roll out the dough and you mash it down and everything that's not part of the shape, you cut out and you do something else with. Maybe that the Word of God does that with our minds. It, it, it's pressed upon our minds and cuts out everything that doesn't fit and pushes it away. So it can be thrown away. And if I'm going to be honest, this is the text. But even now, there are some of us in here that are going, yeah, but honestly, is it really that big of a deal? I mean, honestly. Like, I mean, is this one of those things like preacher guys talking up there? And like, really, is it that big of a deal? I think you have to answer, yeah, it is, obviously. I mean, I think so. I'm preaching on it. But so much, he's connecting so much motivation to it. It's almost as if God knows the human heart and knows that we don't like to do this. Because it requires energy. It requires thought. It requires effort. It's not just simply turning the television on and letting it speak into our minds for hours and hours and hours and hours. It's processing what we're watching. It's processing the messages that it's trying to share with us. It's filtering out all that we're interacting with to think about what we're doing. And I might humbly suggest that's actually the hardest thing I've confronted with today. This is a sermon ultimately about God's people actually having to think. And not to say you're dumb because you're not, but to say you are American and we don't like to think. I mean, in fact, actually, I'm going to say there are very few things we like to do less than actually think. Turn on the news. Watch any interview with any political pundit. We don't like to think. We like to emote. We like to react. We like to respond. But to actually think. And the problem is that God has coupled thinking with spiritual development. And again, you may not like it. You may not want it. You may not enjoy it, but it is a truth that God has placed in his word, how he's designed us, that in order to grow, we have to be creatures of thought in some fashion. And I knew my great challenge preaching today would be in some fashion to to kind of press that upon us that as we go from this room to think, you know, I do need to be more of a thinker. I I do need to work harder at, at not just learning, but engaging my mind. Because so much of my life is filled with passivity as opposed to feeling that engagement with the world. And I'm going to be honest with you. For those of you that are constantly passive, if you will take this to heart and begin to intentionally engage your mind and to test the content of your world, you know the first thing that's going to happen? It's going to exhaust you. Because thinking takes effort and energy. It takes work. It's hard to do. It's going to exhaust you. But after you do that, I promise it does get easier. It does get better. And why? 
Well, go back to the benefits to see it's worth it. But most of all, so you understand Christ and understand him better. I started with a pretty gruesome illustration. I mean, I can't imagine ever going back into a chemistry classroom ever again like my acquaintance did. I met him years after this had happened in his classroom. But to know that his world was filled with a world where life and death were constantly before you. And it is shocking that we as Christians go, but yeah, but not here. That's exactly what we deal with constantly. We are in a world of life and death, and we have a message of life and death. And yet, for some reason, we're like, nope, turn that brain off. Nope, that's not how it works here. May it be that we take God's word to heart, cultivate the energy and the effort to think about Christ, to think according to the scriptures, to think carefully, because there are false teachers everywhere. Let's pray. Lord, give us understanding. Give us courage to think. Give us the energy to engage. Give us the desire and the patience. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen.